Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of 1 Timothy. And uh, Lord, all that you have communicated to us in the book to Timothy, we thank you for preserving it for us and giving it to us as your people. Lord, we pray that now your spirit would speak through us, um, to us and through me as we open your word. Um, we pray that, that your, um, your power would be made known here among us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please take a seat. I have a question for each of you this morning, and that is, if you are a professing Christian, if you would identify as a follower of Jesus, which I assume most of you are this morning, if that is the case, if you follow Christ, my question is, is do you want to be more godly? Do you want to be more and more like him? Is that your desire? Is that your heart? Well, I think once you brush off the cobwebs of the heart every morning and get going, I'm sure most of you would say, yeah, I do. I want to become more and more godly in my life. But in order to become godly, you and I know that there are things in our life that we need to change. There are habits, there are behaviors, there are attitudes that we know we must put off, and there are other habits and attitudes and behaviors that we know we must put on. We know godliness as it looks like preeminently in Jesus Christ, and so we know we need to become like him and change in order to get there. And yet with this desire to change that I think each of us have as believers— even maybe not all the time. I know it's there deep in your heart because you have the Spirit in your heart speaking to you and living inside of you. With this desire to change, how many times have you maybe come away from a sermon where you're, where you're stirred up? Now this is the time I'm going to, and fill in the blank, or maybe you've read your Bible in the morning and you're, you're convicted and you're determined, I'm going to change now. This is the time I'm going to do it. Uh, maybe it's talking with a good friend. Uh, maybe it's reading um, a book that stirs your soul. We all have these times where we're determined to change, but... If you're like me, nine times out of ten, the change never happens. 
It's short-lived. It's kind of like New Year's resolutions. <laughs> Are you still keeping all those that you made at the beginning of the year? Probably not most of them, right? Why is this the case? Why is it we have the heart, but we lack the follow-through, as it were? Well, our text this morning gives us what I believe to be is the secret or the missing ingredient, we could say. It gives us the clear path to godliness. So let's look at it this morning. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse 6. This paragraph of scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. We're going to see here the key to becoming godly. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, for it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. So according to this passage, what is the secret or clear path to godliness? What's well, found right there in the middle of verse 7. The answer is to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. This is what God desires for you this morning. You, his bride. You, his church. Us right here. You that I am seeing this morning. He wants us to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Or we could state it another way, just to kind of capture it in a way that I've tried to been conveying throughout this book of 1 Timothy. The main message is this, from this text, it's a gospel-shaped church disciplines for the purpose of godliness. Now, what does this mean and what does this entail, right? What does this mean that we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness? Well, what I want to do is I want to unpack each of these words this morning to give you an understanding of what is communicated here in this portion of, of Scripture. Um, and then I want to I um, offer some maybe objections that, that you might have or just some thoughts that maybe you have after we go through this. And finally, I want to encourage you by this message with the benefits that really accrue to us as we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. 
So I want to make sure we're all on the same page with defining terms. Now, I don't want this to be pedantic. I don't want this to be elementary, but we need to get all on the same page with this first word, godliness, because I think it's often misunderstood. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So what is godliness? Well, godliness, uh, if you may not believe it or not, it's actually only used 15 times in the New Testament. Um, And Nine of those 15 times, it's used in uh, 1 Timothy. And so in a very real way, as we've been going through this, godliness is the theme here. It's the theme of this book of 1 Timothy. Now, if I were to take a poll and ask each of us, what does it mean to be godly? What is a godly Christian? I'm sure I would get many, many answers, many, many responses. Some of you would say, well, to be godly means to be godlike. Kind of has the word in it, godly. Or some of you might say it means to be like Jesus. Or others of you might think that to be godly means to have noble, excellent, what we would call Christian character. Now, certainly godliness entails having Christian Character, Christian or godly character is part of godliness, but it's not the entire thing. It's not the entire thing. And Jerry Bridges, he's a, he's a dear brother who has gone to be with the Lord, written many books. He wrote a book called The Practice of Godliness. Maybe some of you have read it. But in this book, he traces godliness throughout the Bible. And he comes to the conclusion That godliness, and here it is if you're taking notes, godliness is a personal attitude toward God that results in actions that are pleasing to him. It's a personal attitude toward God that results in actions that are pleasing to him. Godliness, maybe you could put it a little bit differently, is a devotion to God, an action that fits with that devotion. And Bridges, he further breaks down godliness as um, attitude or devotion or a heart that, number one, fears the Lord, number two, loves God, and number three, desires God. Right? Now, I'm not going to break that down any further. I'm not going to go any more into the weeds with that. I'm plugging Bridges' book here for you if you want to pick it up and read it to fill out more of this. But godliness... Godliness is to be devoted to God in heart and in conduct, in conduct we could say. It is, it is, in other words, to be gospel-shaped. It's to be shaped by the message of Jesus. More and more in heart and in action. It's that devotion to God that works itself out into pleasing Him. And again, this is all what the book of 1 Timothy is about. It's written to this church that had gone off the rails, as it were. They had gone off the rails in teaching. They had gone off the rails in their conduct. And Paul is writing to Timothy, this missionary in Ephesus, to have him communicate these words to call them back, to be shaped by 
the gospel we need. We need always to be shaped by the faith that has been handed down to the saints. And so again, as we look at this book of 1 Timothy, it is a book written to the church, to you and I, to teach us how to be godly. And most of us, as I said, most of us here this morning, we want to be godly. We want to change. But oftentimes we come up short. Why is that? Well, that's because of this next word, discipline. Look at verse 7 again. Chapter 4, verse 7. Have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. This word discipline that is used here, that Paul pens under the inspiration of the Spirit, it comes from the word gymnasium or gymnastics. The word is clearly a reference to athletics. And an athlete in athletics becomes good at a sport only through what? Through discipline, through training. When I was studying this, my mind went to the great swimmer Michael Phelps. Right? Michael Phelps um, has won 28 Olympic medals And this is not to mention 54 others that he won in other swimming competitions throughout his career. Now listen to this. To achieve this great feat of over 80 medals, Phelps swam 8 miles a day, 6 to 7 days a week. At least, at least he maintained 50 miles in a week, even on Sundays and his birthday. (laughs) Didn't take a day off to eat cake. Now, to accomplish what he did, and most of us here are familiar with what he did, he spent five to six hours, five to six hours in a pool every day, or at least six to seven days a week, right? It was, we could say, it was his full-time job. And in addition to all that time in the pool, just training, he spent countless hours in the gym, he took regular ice baths, and he consumed, listen to this, he consumed 8,000 to 10,000 calories a day. Now, the point is, as you get it, is that with all, without all of that training, I don't care how big of a wingspan that man has, <laughs> Without all of that training, Phelps would have never been able to achieve the goals of maybe becoming the greatest swimmer of all time. Brothers and sisters, so it is with godliness. And yet, this is often where we fail. We give up, we don't train. And it's why Paul adds this next two words, this prepositional phrase here, for the purpose of. is exactly what Paul means when he says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Godliness requires discipline. Discipline that puts in the time and effort. 
So what Paul means here is when you discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, it means that the structures, the patterns, the habits, all of that in your life, you employ for or towards becoming godly. In other words, it's like Phelps. The structures, the structures, the patterns, the habits of that man's life were in order to obtain the goal of winning the gold. If we as believers, if we put as much time and energy into godliness as Phelps put into swimming, how would our lives look different? How would your marriage look different? How would your parenting look different? How would your work look different? Right? Can you imagine jumping in a pool and racing Phelps? I would get creamed. <laughs> we would do. You all would. We'd get creamed. Because we haven't put in the training. We haven't put in the discipline. Effort. And I think that is where we fall short in becoming godly. And so now I want to transition to addressing some objections that I know are appearing in your mind. They at least appeared in my mind studying this passage and coming to this realization. We've looked very hard at these key words. We understand what it means to be godly. We understand that word. We know what discipline means. And we know what for the purpose of godliness means. It's to structure, it's to form, it's to have patterns of your life with that goal of being godly. And yet, and yet, we still often fail. And why is that? Let me give you two reasons why. Two reasons why. Number one, we live in a culture of instant everything. We have instant oatmeal, we have instant pudding, we have instant everything. And no longer do we have to wait for a movie to come out on DVD. We just stream it, <laughs> right? The same time it's out in the theaters. And because we live in a culture of instant gratification, it is hard. It is hard to have the discipline and training to achieve a goal. It is hard. And on top of this, on top of this, we have, uh, on top of this culture that is sort of instant everything, we live with hearts that, that often grow weak and fail and are feeble and our desires turn to other things and certainly our time always seems to be be consumed by other things, right? Always. Life is busy. And let's face it, who likes to train for things? I mean, how many of you have ran a marathon? I haven't. You know why? Because I don't want to do the training for it. <laughs> it's too hard. I give up. I've tried, you know, after a week or so, I give up. It's hard. Hard work to put in the time and effort. Simply put, 
the reason it's hard, it's because it comes down to the classic world, the classic flesh, our hearts, and the devil who is against us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. All these three forces that we fight, we are fighting on a daily basis, and that's why often we don't discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Second, not only is it hard to hear that we must train for godliness because of a culture in which we live, because of a heart that wants the easy way, but some of you might be a little bit suspicious about what I'm saying this morning. Train, discipline, Pastor Dan, isn't that a little bit legalistic? That sure sounds like a list of do's and don'ts. And you know what? No thank you. I've got a list of do's and don'ts a mile long. Besides, isn't Christianity, isn't the gospel, isn't following Jesus supposed to feel different than training for a marathon? It's supposed to feel different, we think. After all, we have the Spirit. Don't we, don't we let the Spirit do His work in us? Well, I'm not contradicting myself, and Paul is not contradicting himself. Yes, listen, yes, we have the Spirit. He lives inside of us. He is the engine as it were. He is the power source that drives us. But we have to step on the gas. We have to put the gear in place. We have to be fully, actively committed and the Spirit is fully, actively, 100% committed to our change. It's not like, it's not like when we first become believers. When you and I became believers, we contributed absolutely nothing to our, what we call, salvation. Nothing. Or we could say all that we contributed was our sin. Right? We contributed nothing. But as we grow and as we become more and more godly, it takes this work of discipline and training The point is, is that in order to be godly, you and I must exercise discipline. There is no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. And, and I don't want to say that. I wish there were. Oh, I wish there was a shortcut. But there is no shortcuts to godliness. Change does not happen overnight. It often doesn't happen in a week or even a month. Sometimes it takes years, years of change. And you know this. You know this. If you've tried to lose weight, you know that it takes effort. It takes work. Or if you've tried to change a bad spending habit, it takes work. It takes effort to do that. The point is is that training for godliness takes 
time. It takes work and effort. And for some of us, for some areas of our life, it's a little bit easier than other areas. But we all have those besetting sins. We all have those habits that are just very, very hard to break. So, becoming godly is challenging because we face the world, our culture, we face our flesh, our hearts that just want the easy way. Obviously, we have an arch enemy that we face. And secondly, training ourselves, disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness is just downright hard. It's not legalistic. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's how God has wired it to happen. It's how God has made it for us to change. We are to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. So if godliness takes great discipline and training, let me finally this morning encourage you. (laughs) Encourage you. Give you some hope. Because we need hope. Because all of us, myself including, know how hard it is to change. We know. We know how hard it is. So let me give you some hope. What profit is there in changing? What profit is there in godliness? There are at least two specific reasons given in our text. And then one third one that I want to show you that's really implied in our text. So three reasons from our text, and let me list them now. Number one, discipline yourself for godliness because of the benefits of godliness. Because of the benefits gained. Number two, discipline yourself for godliness because of the hope of the gospel. Because of the hope of the gospel. And number three, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness because when you do, it becomes second nature to you. Right, let's look at these. First, godliness, according to Scripture, has many benefits. It has many benefits. Now here, I'm thankful that Paul says this. He says that bodily exercise profits some. It profits. Look at verse 8. Bodily exercise is only of little profit. He doesn't say it's of no profit. It is of some profit profit. And we know this. It doesn't take rocket science to know that exercise is beneficial for us. I remember several years ago, this is about five years ago now, I went to the doctor for an annual exam. I got my blood drawn and my cholesterol limits came back high. And I was like, what? I'm only in my mid-30s. How can it be high? (laughs) And so I was determined. I was absolutely determined to exercise because That is one of the key. I mean, diet and exercise, right? That is the key to bringing down your cholesterol. And thankfully, I did. I exercised. I worked hard. I was disciplined all year. And then it came down. And then you know what I did? I stopped. (laughs) Because I got the numbers down, right? So it's this vicious cycle that we all find ourselves in with diet and exercise. And of course, the doctor didn't need to tell me I needed to exercise, Right? I knew. I knew that's what I needed to do because I was severely lacking in it. Well, the chief doctor, our Lord Jesus, already tells us there's benefits to exercise. There's little profit. There is profit, but it's little. Now, why? Why is bodily exercise of little profit? 
Why? Well, Paul tells us here in verse 8, let's go on to reading, for bodily discipline is of little profit, but here is something he says that is much more profitable. Godliness, he says, is profitable for all things. Why? Since it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. Physical exercise is profitable, but only for this life. It's temporary. It fades, and oh, it fades quickly, doesn't it? And yet godliness, godliness never fades. It's profitable for this life and for the life to come. It's eternal. It's everlasting. There is an everlasting benefit to godliness. That is the profit. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to believe this. I need to believe this. When I wake up in the morning and my heart is cold, and the cobwebs that accrued overnight need to be dusted off, I need to believe that there is profit in godliness. Because believing that will help me to open up my Bible and to read it. And it will help me on Sunday morning to get up and be here at church. And it will help me to go to the prayer meeting where I experience great benefit and draw closer to the Lord in prayer. All of these what we call spiritual disciplines will become a lot easier if we believed that there is great profit to godliness. Not just temporal, but eternal profit that we have. The second reason, the second reason we are to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness is because of the hope of the gospel. And Paul states this in verse 9. He says, look at it with me. He says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Verse 10, for it is for this in, we labor and strive. In other words, for the purpose of godliness, we labor and strive. Why? Because, verse 10, we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. We discipline ourselves, not only because it brings great crop profit to us, but number two, because we have our hope in a living God. We can discipline ourselves because our hope is in a living God, a living God who does not let down on His promises, A God who does say that if you discipline yourself for godliness, you will have benefit. And so we have our hope in this living God. A God who does not and who never disappoints us. Never will. Now, I just want to clarify here. In verse 10, it says that Christ is the Savior of 
of all men, especially of believers. Now, when he is saying this, he's not saying that every person is a Christian. Paul's not teaching universalism. He's simply stating that Jesus is the Savior of all kinds of men. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man, as Paul says earlier in chapter 2. There is no other Savior for humankind other than Jesus. But Jesus is especially a Savior for believers. Why? Because believers, we are the ones who receive the benefits of Christ. We receive the benefits that accrue to us with disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Unbelievers may attempt to be godly, they may attempt to change, but all their good works add up to rubbish in God's eyes. They all add up to nothing. And yet us as believers, we have been called for the purpose of good works. We have been called to become more like Christ. We have been called to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. And when we do that, we receive great benefit because Jesus is our Savior. He's especially the Savior of us as believers. And number three, we not only discipline ourselves for godliness because it has great benefit, benefit, brothers and sisters, believe it every morning. Believe it. If you knew that you invested a certain amount of money every day and in 50 years it's going to grow, 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 right? Generally that's what happens. So believe that in 50 years' time, that effort, that training is going to have great benefit for you in the life to come. And secondly, we, we discipline ourselves because we have put our hope in the living God, the Savior of all men, especially of believers. And number three, discipline yourself for godliness because when you do, godliness becomes a habit in your life. You know, when you first learned to ride a bike, I'm sure it took a lot of practice and training, right? I've now taught, well, three of our four kids to ride a bike. And, you know, when they first get on that bike, when you first get on your bike, you know, your, your, your whole mind is engaged in what you're doing. You know, you have to get... You know, don't turn the wheel too much, but you not, don't want to keep it too straight. You want to turn it just enough to keep that balance. But as you're doing that, you need to keep pedaling. <laughs> and then as you're pedaling, you got to remember where the brakes are in case you get going too fast. There's all these things that you got to learn about riding a bike. But once you get it, you get it. And if you haven't ridden a bike for years, I'm sure if you were to get back on a bike, you would pick it up just like in no time. It would come right back to you, right? And you wouldn't have to put a lot of effort into it. God has made us as people. He has made us creatures of habit. And I'm thankful he has made us creatures of habit. Think about how exhausting life would be like 
if every time you brushed your teeth, you had to have your full mind engaged in it. Relearning how to put the toothbrush under the sink and rinse it and squeeze from the bottom and on and on and on, right? That would be exhausting. But how many of you, I bet none of you this morning, when you brushed your teeth before you came, thought a lick about brushing your teeth? Your mind was on something else. Why? Because it's become a habit. And that's how God has made us, and that's why God uses this word discipline. Because he knows that we are creatures of habit, and he knows with discipline and training, we can train ourselves to become godly so that our godliness becomes habit. We had my son here in karate um, down the street in, in Lakeville, and um, he always would say to the students, discipline, practice, makes habits. Right? And it's true. It's true for many things in life. That's why God has used this word, habits. We have been made to be creatures of habit. That's how God has made us. And so, we are to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Why? Three reasons. Three reasons. Number one, because of the great benefit that comes to us. Number two, because we have our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. And number three, we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness because when we do, it becomes habit in our lives. Brothers and sisters, discipline is hard. But perhaps discipline has been, perhaps it has been the missing ingredient, we could say, in your life. You want to change? You know you should change? You know there are ways in which you need to become more and more godly, and yet you just haven't been able to achieve it. And so you're looking at now another week or month or year and you're becoming weary. I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you. God has told us, at least from, we could say, a human perspective, right? From a human perspective, we become godly through discipline, through, tra- through training, and through doing those spiritual disciplines, those spiritual exercises, like reading scripture, like attending church, like fellowshipping with one another, like praying to the Lord. Grace Community Bible Church, we are called to be a church that is shaped by the gospel. The gospel, as I've said before, and as you know, doesn't just save us, brings us into the family of God and gets our ticket punched to heaven. No, the gospel changes us. It changes us and we learn, have been learning through this book of 1 Timothy, how it does so. How it does so. And today we learn that a gospel-shaped church disciplines herself for the purpose of godliness. Amen? Amen. Let me 
transition here and just say a, a few words um, as I have an opportunity here. Um, it has been for me um, just such a great joy, one of the greatest joys and privileges of my life to serve as a pastor here at Grace Community Bible Church and to help plant this church um, and to see all of you and to see what God has done. And I know that God has great things in store for, for us, for you um, as a church. I know he has great um, plans for my family as we um, transition in our lives as well. I also want to just thank you for encouraging us, supporting us as we um, follow the Lord um, into this mission that he's called, uh, called us to. Um, I, I think many of you know and recognize in the last three to four years, you see God using me, you see God using us um, in Sierra Leone, in Bolivia, in other places that I've had the opportunity to serve. Uh, you see my heart for what we're doing. In fact, even when we were just here singing this morning, um, <laughs> and not intentionally, but my, my mind was, yeah, I wonder how the brothers are doing um, in, in Sierra Leone. Um, that's where my, my mind was going. So I want to thank you for, for really sending us um, out to do this work. Um, we're not going to be here as often, obviously, but um, we're not totally going to be gone. You'll be receiving updates frequently um, through the newsletter, and uh, we're going to visit often too. Uh, come back and see you all. And maybe um, the pastors might have me back a couple times to preach um, God's word as, as that opportunity is and as the need arises. Uh, but thank you, brothers and sisters. Um, we will miss each of you, and, uh, but we will see you again, right? That is the hope that we have. Let me close in prayer.